Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Hello and welcome back to the program again today. And I trust that you have been tuning in every week as we have been digging deeper into the Word. If you are hungry for the deeper things of God, then don't change the channel. Stay here and uh, just enjoy some of the things that I believe the Spirit of the Lord has put on my heart. Uh, We have been doing a study uh, in the Gospel of John. For those of you who follow our ministry, you know that's what we've been studying, and we've been doing this for weeks and weeks. And uh, one thing I absolutely love about being able to do television is that I can take as long as I need to do to be able to unpack some things that I believe the body of Christ really needs to hear. I think that, uh, you know, to me as I travel, and I travel all the time uh, in a different place week to week, and I can tell you this, uh, uh, you know, the American church especially is about 40 miles wide and about a half inch deep, and we're very surface, but I think it's time to go a little deeper into the things of God and study the Word of God because it is so full of tremendous treasures that it's like mining for gold. And every now and then you hit that that vein and you say, boy, I'm just going to stay on this for a while. Now let me just uh, come back again and tell you that, uh, uh, and I quote this almost every time we start talking about the book of John. In the latter part of the Gospel of John, John writes this verse. He said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you would have life through His name. So the purpose of this whole book is to be, I believe, one of the most incredible treaties of unlocking the truth of uh, Jesus being the Christ. First of all, He is uh, making several points even through the miracles and, and the signs. Again, I want to I reiterate this because if you've been watching, you've, you've heard me talk about this. But he keeps on giving them signs, signposts. In other words, if you're driving down the road and you see a sign, it's telling you something. You know, in other words, if it says, you know, there's a stop sign ahead, then that's a good warning. If it tells you this is a deer crossing, you might ought to wash out for deer. But Jesus keeps giving them signs that he in fact was Messiah. He was the promised Messiah that this early first generation, particularly Jews, but also Gentiles, because as you listen to probably the last seven television programs we dealt with, we talked about the Samaritan woman and how Jesus was not only including uh, the Jewish nation of Israel, but his mystery according to Colossians 1 is that uh, it would be Christ in and among all of you, not just Jew, but both Jew and Gentile would be brought together in one in Christ. All the prophets prophesied concerning this, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, we don't go back and look at uh, promises made through the prophets and promises fulfilled. And that's one of the things we're doing in this series is we're showing you that Jesus did not come just to make more promises. He came to deliver on the promises he'd already made. And he was in fact 
the son of David that had come on the scene. He was the son of man that Daniel talked about. He was the messenger of the covenant that Malachi talked about. He was uh, the one who would literally turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. And as we've studied this book of John, we've looked at typology and showed how he fulfilled, not just by doing miracles, but he, he, the miracles that he did pointed to something much bigger than just the immediate miracle. Uh, for instance, we sh- shared with you in the early stages about how Jesus turned the water into wine. This was his first miracle, it was his first sign. And what he was doing was showing that there's another covenant coming on the scene, and that there's another wedding that's about to take place. Uh, that it's talking, it really had some powerful pictures of what his wedding would look like, where he would take the six water pots, six being the number of humanity. They were earthen vessels. Those earthen vessels speak of us. And uh, they were pots that were used for purification. But Jesus takes water, puts them to the brim, and then turns the water into wine. It powerfully pictured, as we've already taught, how his, 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 his method for purifying us would be to fill us with His Spirit, turn the water into wine, and bring us into a new covenant of marriage with Him. He begins to talk about, just a little bit later down there, uh, He walks up to the temple and says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it back again. And they thought He was talking about the physical, natural temple, when in fact He was talking about the temple of His body. So He begins to shift their paradigm from a natural, carnal view of Scripture, a literal interpretation, to showing you there's something more under the surface than a physical building somewhere, that he in fact was the temple. He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And the whole overtone that we shared in that segment was that, Nicodemus, it's not enough that your natural genealogy is from a Jewish background. You must be born again. And then he goes to Samaria, and he t- and, and uh, he, he begins to tell this woman who is a Samaritan. She's a she's a, what they would consider a Gentile, and he says to her, "If you're thirsty, come to me, and I'll give you a drink." And when Jesus talks about the water of life that he gives, uh, he is uh, you know talking about spiritual things, not that well of literal water. So do you see that the overtones are trying to reveal something under the surface that's just a little deeper than you might see at the surface. Now, that being said, I know I've probably whetted your appetite to say, well, boy, I just tuned in for the first time, and I must have missed a whole lot of stuff. Yes, you did. But I want to tell you some good news is that we do have everything that we have shared to date is on YouTube. And uh, it is uh, is there for you. It's archived there. Everything we have uh, aired to date is archived there. And you can go back and watch them on demand at your leisure. Also, um, there is a podcast uh, for your uh, Apple device where you can uh, literally listen to the audio portions of these programs. And then there is an RSS feed for your Android device. The easiest way to go back and listen to stuff that we have shared before would be to go to my website at lenhiles.com and up in the upper right hand corner there are icons there that will take you directly to YouTube, one of them will take you to our podcast, one will take you to the RSS feed. While you're there just subscribe to the channel, it costs you nothing, it's for free, our partners have made that available to you. 
And if you'd like to just subscribe, what happens is every time we upload one, you will get a, a notice that we've uploaded a new program. And you, we, we, we love it when you share them on your Facebook, share them with your friends, share them in your Wednesday night services. Uh, it's just, uh, to me, a powerful medium once we get this stuff recorded to help to teach people the gospel. Now I want to come back today because we're going to move into chapter 5, and we're going to look at another powerful picture of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's service, you know, I have just so enjoyed this series in John because so many times, even myself, I've read over these things and just see the surface of them. But once I started really looking into this, every chapter began to open to me in a powerful way. So we're going to begin today, John chapter 5. We're going to talk about the Pool of Bethesda a little while, probably for the next couple of weeks. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity, this is very important, thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, saith unto him, look at this powerful word, Wilt thou be made whole? He didn't say, do you want to get a healing? He said, Wilt thou be made whole? And I believe that's a powerful question, because there's a lot of people that want to get healed, but they don't want to be made whole, spirit, soul, and body. And we'll talk about that a little bit. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. And the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. That's important. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, he, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Now we're going to come back and look at this. As I started to study this, chapter. First of all, what I want to tell you is that there was a feast of the Jews. Now, I studied a lot of commentaries, but especially Adam Clark's commentary, but some others seem to indicate the same thing. But they believe that this feast that we were talking about is the feast of Passover. Now, we know if you've been in church any length of time, you know that the Passover is a picture of the finished work of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we are coming pretty close to the Easter season, and uh, you know we want to just uh, you know talk a little bit even about Passover and the feast. And see, Jesus on the Easter season really is a, a term that we've coined. It's, the church uses to describe the feast of Passover. 
And the Feast of Passover is the celebration of an exodus out of Egypt. They were the, the, the same night in which they departed from Egypt. The Spirit of the, or, or God told Moses, He said, Take a lamb out from among the sheep and goats and put blood on the doorpost of their houses, and then take that lamb in the house in the night, roast with fire, eat the head, the legs, and the pertinence thereof. And they celebrated that Passover as a picture and a type and shadow. I think it, you know, sometimes I think we are so accustomed to uh, being the church of the, you know, 21st century that we miss the impact of the night before Jesus' decease. It was the feast of Passover. And he said to his disciples, with great desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you. And I think as he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it, he said, this is my body which was broken for you. And then he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. And this do as often as you come together in remembrance of me. And I think what he was saying to them is, I have desired to eat this Passover because this Passover is different than any other Passover you've experienced because Jesus was saying to them, this is the last physical lamb you will ever have to kill because the real lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was now on the scene and he was there to bring about another exodus. Oh, there's so many things that I uh, I'm going to share with you, especially in the next chapter about another exodus. But these, all of these stories would, should have, I'll put it that way, it should have, especially in the minds of guys like Nicodemus, who was a master teacher in Israel. But not just Nicodemus, all of these folks in this first century, most of them had to commit to memory. The first five books of the Bible, they had to memorize them verbatim. They, they wore literally uh, uh, inscriptions on their hands and on their heads of scriptures of promises. But when Moses is read, there's a veil over your face. In other words, they could not see that all of these things in the Old Testament were shadows that were pointing to a substance. In other words, it, a, a, a shadow is, is, there's a shadow because of something standing in the light. If you were standing behind my chair right now, there are lights on here in the studio. But if you stood behind my chair, the shadow may reach a long ways. But if you, if you look at the shadow and you continue to follow the shadow, at some point you are going to find the thing that's standing in the light of which that is a shadow of. And so they are now uh, in the New Testament here in John's Gospel, and he's bringing it out of the realm of shadow and enigma and type. And Jesus is continuing to reiterate, listen, on the night before his decease at the Passover, he literally says to them, with great desire have I desired this, because what he's saying is, the last lamb you will ever have to kill is on this table. Tomorrow Jesus would be crucified, and he would be the ultimate lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. He would inaugurate a new covenant. That was the cup that was in his hand, and he would inaugurate a brand new covenant that would not be about physical lambs, but it would be about feeding on the true Lamb of God, of Jesus Christ. And so what it was pointing to was another exodus. So that was probably the feast that was at hand here in John's Gospel. 
It says, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. The second thing I want to say to you is that in fa- if it was in fact the feast of Passover, that they would have been bringing the sheep through what would have been the sheep gate. If you study the book of Nehemiah, you can see that there was a sheep gate that would bring them in towards Jerusalem. By the, the, the they would bring the, the sheep market there, and they would bring these sheep to buy them and sell them for sacrifices in the temple. And it was called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, which literally means the house of mercy, having five porches. Now, five is the number of grace or mercy. Bethesda means the house of mercy. And so he's beginning to point us to something powerful here uh, that's showing us that there's, there, there's a house of mercy. There's a place of mercy. There's a place of grace that you can come even when you're crippled, when you're halt, you're lame, and you're blind. Now let me just go on down through here. It says, and these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel came down, uh, went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity, note this, 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered, said, Sir, I have no man to put, have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool, and while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked on the same day, was the Sabbath. Now I'm going to probably talk about the Sabbath a great deal in a, in a future um, program, but today I really want to just uh, emphasize that this, this is a very, very powerful picture. Adam Clark's commentary, and some scholars say that what happened is they would bring these lambs into the sheep market through the sheep goat, I'm sorry, through the sheep gate, and then they would wash these lambs upstream from the pool of Bethesda and prepare them for sacrifice. And when they would cut the throats of the lambs, the blood of the lamb would run into the water, and when the blood of the lamb would get in the water, it would trouble the water, and, and an angel would come down and trouble the water, and whoever got in that pool of Bethesda at that moment could be made whole. Now, I, I tell you, I get excited when I start talking about this, because here's a man laying at the pool, the very house of mercy, the very house of grace, where there's five porches, and he's waiting on the troubling of the water. He's waiting on the blood of a lamb to hit this water so that an angel could come down and trouble the water. And I might get to this a little bit later on, but Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is better than angels. Hallelujah. Now that's pretty powerful to me because this time it's not an angel who has come down to trouble the water. And this time it's not a barnyard creature going, that's going to walk down and trouble the water. This time the true Lamb of God has walked up to this man who is impotent, blind, halt, and lame. Because let me tell you something, there was a great multitude of impotent folk laying here who could not help themselves but the water troubler was now on the scene. Now we're going to get into why he picked this particular man. 
But before I get there, I want to talk about this a little bit, because who needs mercy more than the folks that are blind, halt, withered, waiting on the moving of the water? In other words, I believe that the whole purpose of God is to bring us to the place. Listen, God is more interested in healing your brokenness than He is of judging you for your sin. I think we preach so much about the judgment of God that we forget about the salvation of God and His desire to heal your brokenness. Because as I have preached the gospel for 41 years and traveled all over the world, I can tell you one thing. I have met a lot of impotent folk who are halt, who are lame, and who are blind who are waiting on some man to trouble the water. You would think if this guy had laid here for 38 years that he'd have said to whoever carried him there, lay me somewhere close to this pool because if I could just get to this pool where I could just throw myself a roll or something and roll myself into this pool of water where I could be made whole, you'd think he'd figure out some way to get in this water. But I think as I watch even in the American church, there are a lot of people who are lying right at the gate of mercy and grace where there is grace and mercy. And there's a lot of religious leaders just like there is in this chapter that are almost not wanting to see people get made whole. I think sometimes religious leaders want to keep us in need so that they can keep on trying to sell us the cure. And I believe the gospel has to shift from being need-based to being supply-based. Because the old covenant is full of demand, but the new covenant is full of supply. And Jesus is walking up on the scene here with the supply for what this man needs for what he's crippled from. Now, I don't know about you, but there are things and areas in my life where I've been crippled, where I've not been able to walk, where I've been lame, where I've been crippled, or I've been blind, or I've been halt. And even a halt here seems to denote to me the idea, it's an old English word that means they're in the same place and they're not moving. They're just kind of hung up there. There's a lot of people, I believe in this hour, that are hung up under an old covenant paradigm, I'm, I'm going to get into this a little bit deeper as we go on th down through here, but this man was lame for 38 years. It is the exact amount of time, and we will look at this probably in the next segment, it was the exact amount of time that Israel wandered in the wilderness from the time that they sent spies in to spy out the land, and they came back with an evil report uh, God spoke to them and said that they would wander in the wilderness for 38 years until the men of war died. They were in the wilderness, and they were called the halt, the lame, and the blind. Interestingly enough, when Jesus came on the scene, His first message is, He has sent me to preach the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to the recovery of sight to the blind. In other words, He is really kind of not just talking about physical things. Yes, that's there. Thank God He is a healer. But He was talking about trying to bring recovery to people who were going to wander around in the wilderness just like Israel when they left Egypt. Remember, they left Egypt at Passover. And remember here in John, they just left the Passover. In Egypt, they put the blood on the doorpost and took the lamb inside the house. Here at this pool of Bethesda, the blood of the lambs is running into the pool, and there's some crippled folk that are still here. They're halt, they're lame, and they're blind, and they are unbelievers that are standing here. And that it's specific, 38 years 
because when you go back, we'll deal with this probably in detail in the next segment, but when the spies went in, they came back with an evil report. And they put an emphasis on how big the enemy was instead of how big God was. And two of them came back with another report, said, we're well able to take the land. And God said, because you've come back and you've disheartened the people, you're going to wander around in the wilderness. And they wandered for 38 years until they crossed over. They begin to cross over after 38 years of wandering. I think God is taking this story and he's saying to all of those rulers of the synagogue and these religious leaders here, they're even going to criticize this man for taking up his bed on the Sabbath. And he's pointing to them and saying, it's not just a man here that's halt. It's not just a man here that's lame. It's not just a man here that's blind. It's you guys that are blind guides, and you're going to all fall into the ditch. But he's saying to them in this first century, and as well as to us, do you want to be made whole? And it looks to me like, again, once again, they continue to uh, just, you know, they continue to refuse to receive their Messiah. The blood of the Lamb is in the pool. And Jesus comes down to this man who was in this condition this long and said, Do you want to be made whole? And he said, I don't have any man, Lord, to put me in the pool. And Jesus just simply says to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to somebody today that's crippled, You don't have to now wait because you are not waiting on a certain feast. That feast has been fulfilled. Jesus is the water troubler. He has showed up on the scene, and He's coming not just to people who I call glow-in-the-dark saints. He's coming to people who are halt and lame and blind and impotent, powerless over situations. You may be powerless over addiction. You may be powerless over your appetite. You may be powerless over food. You may be, there's all kinds of stuff that we are powerless over. But I want to tell you that somebody is here today to empower you, who's going to bring you even into a posture where you're going to realize he's beginning to do the work, even symbolized to me and take up your bed and walk is the idea of bringing you into a rest that remain for the people of God. And to me, rest does not indicate that you are a spiritual couch potato. What rest says to me is that while you rest, God will work. He is the man who can put you in the pool. If you work, God will rest. If you rest, God will work. But when you're at rest, that doesn't mean you become a spiritual couch potato. It means you have entered into what Hebrews 4 calls the rest of God where you've entered into faith. Because once you enter into faith, you learn how to rest. When you truly are believing God, it will bring you into a rest. When you trust that He has the ability to make you whole, you will cease from your own labors and God will go to work. And that's what Jesus is going to say on down, even in this, when they ask Him about the Sabbath day. He said, Hitherto my Father worketh, therefore I work. On the Sabbath day, you rest, and God goes to work. And I want to encourage you today that if you've laid near this pool and you've been impotent, powerless, halt, lame, and blind for years and years and years, it's time to say, I want to be made whole, and let Him put you in the waters 
and the blood of the Lamb to trouble the water. We're going to come back and teach on this some more, but we're out of time on this week's program. I trust you're enjoying this. If you'd like to uh, help us to take the gospel around the world, please call the number on the screen, or you can go to our website. It's very easy to give via credit card, debit card, or PayPal there on our website. There's a direct link to do that. You can actually sign up for a recurring debt if you'd like to become a partner. We do need your partnership. Also, if you'd like to send a check or a money order, there will be an address on the screen where you can send it, and it is deeply appreciated, and we are grateful for it because it's what kept us on the air for 10 years. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.